Hi, and welcome to a new episode of No Life Lecture Life. Today, we will be talking about the differences between AQHA and APHA in Europe. And my guest today is also one of my best friends in the industry. Welcome, Laura Pfeiffer. Laura, can you tell us about yourself? Hello, guys. Uh, so nice to be here on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Uh, my name is Laura Pfeiffer. I'm uh, 27 years old, originally from Germany. At the moment, I live in Zurich and Switzerland. And yeah, I've been in the industry, I think, for now over 12, 13 years, something like that. Yes. And you have two horses, right? Can you tell us about them? Yes, uh, I have uh, two American Quarter horses. My mare, she's actually also double registered. So her name is Fashionable Irons. Uh, she's 10 years old and uh, we bought her from the US. And I have 11 year old gelding called Potentializing. And we brought him from Günther and Britta Fischer in Berlin. But when we first met, you still had two different horses. And I still remember that because you had an SPB gelding and this really flashy Overo mare. Can you tell our listeners about them? Yes. So my first horse called He's a Nigel Paycheck was an SPB paint horse. And by the time we bought him, we didn't even know what he was. I just had this brown three-year-old horse I loved, I wanted to have. And as we bought it, we saw on the papers it said SPB horse. And that's how I slowly got into the industry of paint horses. And after that, and competing in the SPB, I always wanted to have a nice, really paint horse or a painted horse. And so we bought in the US actually two horses, really flashy, beautiful, blue-eyed mares. And one we sold after one year and uh, the other mare we kept for several years. And she was called Shine. Yes, this was my beginning in the paint horse industry. And actually those were my beginnings as well. And I was always a big fan of Shine. I loved her. And she was such a great show horse. What did you show her in and how did you get involved into the big shows? By the time I went into the, the shows, Actually, the only discipline I could do was the showmanship because riding-wise, I was still a really rookie because from youth on, I went to the jumpings and then I switched to the Western. And so the only real class I could show in was showmanship. And uh, then I added several classes like the pleasure, the trail, the horsemanship, the hunter, the hunter hack. I didn't do a pole bending, but I think in the paint horses, I nearly did every class that there existed. Yeah, because pole bending was like for the cool people like me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. But I mean... Your horses did really well in showmanship. I think it's important to mention that Shine was also a Golden Series champion in that class. So she kind of stepped up her game, you know, like from the APHA shows to the VWB shows. Yeah, I mean, it was mostly because of me loving the class. I would spend hours watching YouTube clips from people showing the US and also we both, I mean, we met early stage in our horse life and we always watched together these amazing rides in the US. And when you have limited access to good trainers and uh, yeah, that's the only, for me, it was the only class I could train because it's on the ground and it doesn't matter which horse you have. I mean, it helps when you have a nice fleshy horse, but still you can train everything on the horse. 
And now this is still my favorite class to compete in. Uh, I think it's so challenging and so cool. When we're looking back to the past, do you know how we met? Yeah, I mean, there are two stories. <laughs> Actually, the f I, I remember really flashing my head one moment. It was raining. We were at the Comrange. Maybe some people know the place and it, and it rains a lot. So I went there and I had this really cool crema shoes. It's fake ostrich leather and you you were laughing about your shoes and the weather and that's that's the moment I remembered but you have a different story right yes because I think remember it was the training for the youth world cup in the states and you were part of the team and I wasn't because you were talented and I wasn't so um <laughs> you were actually like training on the horse that I was usually showing in the youth classes and she was basically like a little bit of a bitch And I was so nervous because I felt like, oh my God, she's gonna ride that horse. And I don't know if the horse is going to spook or, you know, just be bad. And I was like, oh my God, Laura, so cool. What happens if the horse is bad? And then I think I, I actually sent you a message on Facebook back then in the days. We still only had Facebook. Yes. And yes. you were like really nice. And I was like, oh my God, she actually is nice. And oh my God, nothing happened. <laughs> And then somehow we became friends, right? Yes. And this like youth world show thing was a huge thing in my youth career because I failed at least two or three years in my youth career with not going there. And because you always ride like different people horses and I always had like bad luck and during horses that were not so easy to ride and all these like, lucky girls on my well-trained horses they got into the teams but thankfully one one time I did it and it was a really nice trip so I'm really thankful that uh, I could go there to the US and show there. I think that was basically at the end of our youth career right I mean it was actually like in the latest stages of our youth years and I still remember that it, this was like a really big thing being a part of team Germany. And it was also one of the things that kind of like for me were one of the main events for the European paint horse industry back then. Right. Yes. Right. I mean, we had a really good youth team. I mean, it's a, a lot of good youth riders and I mean, it was for everybody there. It was a huge goal to go there. I mean, it was a opportunity to go to the U S to show horses. I mean, to, just to sit on a high quality horse like they have there we couldn't even imagine that back then and yes it was uh, the year I did my graduation I went to the yes so it, it was basically the last youth year when I turned 18. All right and I think the last time we both showed at the European was in 2014 I think so maybe to all the listeners who are not really familiar with the APHA circuit in Europe Can you explain what the shows were like back then? They were fun. I mean, do you have to think about the paints? It's a lot of people, not a lot of people, but it's a lot of classes. So, but you have the paints and the solid paints and you have every class and paint and solid paint. And they also give out awards in the novice and the green. So you have more classes to add to the Europeans. And I always think back of really nice times. Like we were a group, great group of people and it's it's really fun because it I mean kind of end the week of the Europeans as this European team cup 
And <laughs> I mean, Europeans are fine, but the team cap is the thing. And people dress up and they form a team of five writers and I mean, the five best writers of every nation. Then they compete in one event or like in one evening. And it's a lot of fun afterwards. It's a party and uh, it's a big getting together. That's actually something I don't get about the AQHA circuit in Europe. I don't understand why this European Team Cup is only a thing at the European because I also think that it's so cool. Like everyone dresses up in, I don't know, like some clothing that's typical for their nation and they compete and it's fun and it's during dinner time. So everyone has their dinner But there's nothing similar at the European Championship of American Quarter Horses, which is actually kind of sad because I think the Team Cup is the only event that kind of brings everybody together aside from who belongs to which team, I mean, trainer-wise, or who shows in which classes or against another person. So do you feel like we should have something like that at the AQHA circuit? Actually, I thought about this a lot and... Uh... To be honest, I think the event is really cool. Sometimes it takes a little bit the seriousness out of the competition, but brings back the joy and like the fun. And I think that's what the AKHA just doesn't have. You can really bring it back to the US because the mother associations in the US are also really different. You have in the US, you have, for example, uh, Shankla Showmanship, or you have Babak Horsemanship classes at the World Show. And it's fun, it loosens up, but sometimes it takes the seriousness out of the, the show. So something in between would be really cool, but also it adds another class and everybody is tired. And Yeah, I mean, I think the main difference between today and back when we showed there is that the show has grown like a lot. I mean, I think in... 2019, they were the biggest APHA show in the world. And I think the year before, the biggest APHA show outside the US. And I think compared to back then when we showed, I mean, it's only seven years, but you know, I think the show has changed a lot. And I think more people came in, they had more horses. The classes are actually quite big, especially the youth classes. I think that's actually one of the main differences between the APHA and the AQHA at the moment. They have quite big youth classes but of course you can always discuss about the competitiveness of the classes but that actually leads to something that I wanted to ask you because I think in 2015 or 16 you showed on the AQHA circuit and what's the main difference between both associations for you? I think that's a really tough question and it's not easy to answer it has both its pros and cons the main difference by the time, and I mean, we have to speak about the time around 2014, 2015. For me, it was the challenge I would face to write different patterns. Also, you know, because when you go to the big VBB shows, you have like these Team Kimura patterns or like just really high class patterns. I wanted to compete also in a high end level in my association on these patterns and maybe also against more experienced people back then. Back then it was for me the big difference that we had small classes at the paints, but also really a lot of good people in there. But I just wanted to see, you know, how is it 
there? How, could I prove me there? Could I just make a step into the door or not? Yeah, I think the one, you know, stereotype everyone always has is that APHA is probably like some years behind in progress compared to AQHA. And I think that applies to the US as well as to Europe. Um, and I th actually agree. I think back then when we showed it was quite different to how it is today. But I also agree with you that, you know, you always wanted to like see what the AQHA circuit was like. And I think we were both kind of curious about those different horses, different people, bigger classes, probably more competitive classes, not to like shame the APHA, but you know what I mean. So can you tell us about your first experiences at the AQHA shows? <laughs> yes. I mean, I have to be honest, I was quite fortunate stepping my game up because I was surrounded by my great trainer, Nina Lina, and she, she was always successful in both associations. So she has a good standing on both and she guided me through this process. We started really in the VWB Einsteiger classes and then we moved up to the amateur AQHA classes. You know, it was scary for me. I mean, back then when we, we both were like 15, My Tanya Horak or Ben Fisher or all these people in the circuit, they were my heroes. I, I mean, I, I, we, we went to, to Kreut and took pictures of the outfits and like just to be in a class with them or be surrounded by them was a huge deal for me. And I mean, still it is. And uh, But I had a really nice time. I, I think I was welcomed with open arms and, you know, I'm an open person I try to get connections friendships and yes I cannot say anything bad about stepping up to the, the the quarters and I mean that's a topic we've actually talked about in the past you know how easy is it to get into our sport and I think we both agree that like getting on a real high competitive level can be hard but I feel like once you've done well on the APHA circuit it's easier to go to the AQHA circuit rather than, you know, just coming from the bottom and having to work your way up to the, you know, really good classes in AQHA. Yeah, I think I was also kind of like welcome with open arms. I was more like an outsider because I didn't show. <laughs> But I think your career took off once you went to the AQHA circuit, right? I mean, the second year you showed on the AQHA circuit, you won the NSBA Futurity in Aachen, right? Yes, I did, yeah. So that was actually, that was a major success. It was huge. I mean, to be honest, still now I get goosebumps from that. And it was the same, now it was the year after I went, won the, the serious showmanship in, in Kreut. And to be honest, there's no show like Aachen. And, you know, this feeling trotting down in Aachen uh, on, on my big uh, hunter horse, something I will never, ever forget, like the, the spotlights. It gives me now goosebumps. And uh, yes, I was just fortunate to have my horses at this time, to have my trainer there ready. And also the classes were like, I could make a step in. I mean, But when you look back, would you choose to start on the AQHA circuit from the beginning of your career? Or would you always say, okay, I never regret going through the APHA phase, as I would call it? You know, to be honest, I would not change a thing. I mean, the AQHA people maybe don't know, but for 
in order to get an all-around champion at the paint circuit, you have to attend at least five or six classes in a different category. So at least you have to show like barrel race or halter or like these, I mean, really crazy classes. And I learned a lot. I mean, I went I went into a winning with a pleasure horse just to be entered and just to get my point for the all around. And also the beginnings, I mean, I, I couldn't even, I mean, I could lope on the right hand, but that, that was all. So I really got really slow into it. I didn't even own my own hat. I mean, I borrowed my whole outfit. It was, I mean, not the nicest outfit. And a lot of people said, you can't go in a show like that. And yeah, it's a different story, but no, I would not change it. I, I learned a lot in the paint. I learned a lot to show in a lot of classes, to get up early, to compete all day. And yes, it's a paint horse feeling is different. It's a colorful life and I loved it. And I always loved your outfits. I was so jealous of them. That's that's why I wear them today. <laughs> <laughs> no, prof, profit to my mom. Because, uh, yeah, the, the moment she heard this not nasty comment by someone, but someone said, like, I mean, we, we ordered chaps on, on eBay and they were, like, brown, rough-out leather, not fitting at all. And uh, then she said, lower from next year on we will have nice show outfits I promise you and since that day she she did these show outfits for me I'm really grateful for that yeah she never disappoints that's for sure <laughs> I think one difference for me actually would be that I think back in the days when we were youth kids you were allowed to show in the youth classes on the APHA circuit without your own horse so you didn't have to like own a horse or lease a horse you could just show any horse and I think that's different from AQHA I don't know if that still is the case but actually for me that was like a major advantage so that's one of the great differences that I see actually like getting to my next question what similarities do you see I see similarities in the passion of the sport, the passion of the breed, because I think the people inside there are really passionate about what they do. I see also the same curve. Maybe you said that the paints are a little bit behind, but I think not not so behind anymore. Um, they they took a step up with the pattern, with the show, how it's organized, what they bring into uh, that they bring back to the members. Yeah, that's the similarity. I mean, going back to the difference, when I now think about the term of association and uh, when you ask people that are long in the paint horse industry, like Alina Henke, for example, the paint horse industry is way smaller or more family oriented, also with the US, because, for example, when you compete, you always get something in return, usually in Europe. You have the Sona Awards, you have the Register of Merit. I got tons of buckles, of jackets, of everything really useful stuff high-end quality and you felt really honored by the by the really big association of the APHA but also felt it was near to we had near to everybody and also on the circuits or also on the Europeans you usually won a lot of prizes and stuff so I think that's different to the quarters yeah I really want to address that yeah it's true to everyone who hasn't been to the Pfeiffer's home yet, it's basically like a Laura Pfeiffer Hall of Fame. And yeah, her dad gets some awards as well. But there's actually like tons of awards and 
registers of merits and trophies and stuff. And yeah, that's actually true. I mean, you get a lot from APHA in return. And also I think some things are actually super cool and fancy. And on the other hand, you have prizes that are really functional, for example. I mean, how many saddles did you get? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that honestly still is the biggest thing because I was two times the world ranking number one in use SPB class. I earned the, the most amount of points in the world. And I I won two blue ribbon show saddles. I mean, not show saddles. I It has a little bit of silver on, but the second one I upgraded with silver and... Yes, and then one time I was in the US also to get the trophy, and it was really cool because everybody that got the trophy could say a speech, me not, because I said maybe the German girl couldn't speak English. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's a big prize, and I don't know if we've ever been on an AQHA circuit, a blue ribbon saddle, maybe in the US, but not in Europe. Yeah, that's actually something where they like, could improve a little, and I mean, I've been to the European Inn, I think, 216, once again, you know, just to visit and take pictures for the show life. And I was so surprised because of the many, many, many new faces I saw, because I always felt like the APHA industry was kind of consistent. You had like, I don't know, like a group of amateurs that competed on the circuit for years and always did well. Whereas I feel like on the AQHA circuit, there's more of like a flow to it. There are people yes. coming and yes. going and coming and going. Some new faces, but they only stay for like two or three years. Then you have people that take a break because they're pregnant or because they have something to do with their job. Do you agree? Yes, totally. I mean, I, I, I was not so involved with the paints anymore. But I still, I mean, I, I always look for the pictures and uh, just to see also, some, I mean, I still know people from the paints like Alina. And I think it changed a lot because the time we were there, it was really a lot of, yeah, teams. Teams that were really conservative also in their thinking, training-wise, and also the people we're surrounded with. So it was kind of like this. And now I think it's really more open-minded. A lot of new people come inside. And I think maybe the pains appear to someone that is going to sport a little bit more easier to get in than the quarters. I feel like from my impression, the structure was kind of different because when we did the paints, I felt like there was a big sense of being a team and sticking with your team and you know just like being this exclusive group of people whereas on the AKHA circuit you're also part of a team but you're also you know going to dinner with someone else or having a drink having coffee and there's probably a little more exchange or you know that's just a feeling I get from you know I haven't been to the paint industry for quite some years yeah I think that's one of the major differences that I see because I always felt like when going into the AQHA circuit that I was talking to a lot more people than I did when I was on the APHA shows because, I don't know, it was just easier to get in contact because the boundaries of the teams weren't that strict, right? Sure. I mean, you, you were also really 
not small, we were always tall, but really maybe shy. <laughs> I mean, I think I was shy during this time. And we, we also grow older in this uh, industry. And when exactly was the time when you were shy? <laughs> I mean, I am shy, you know, Nala? Uh, no, but, you know, shy, shy to talk to people. I, I mean, we both are like that. I mean, we would never, during this time, when we were 14, go to like Sanala Yakfeld and ask her, like, do you know when the next uh, class is starting? Something like that. I mean, it, you get it? it, it that kind of shyness, you know? Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably, it? yeah. <laughs> I mean, when I did my first clinic with Alexandra Jagfeld, I was like 18 years old. And I actually told that Claudia Wichmann uh, from the other podcast. And I was like having a big fangirl moment. On the morning of the clinic, I actually took a shower and brushed my hair and tried to look good just because <laughs> Alexandra Jagfeld was coming. It's probably super embarrassing to tell that. But yeah, it was to me probably as important as it was to other people when they would have met Justin Bieber or Taylor Swift. Oh, that's huge. <laughs> no, but I think it's important to tell that to people that they know that we also uh, went from this position. And uh, I, I mean, I always admired that. And also to talk, yeah, I mean, getting to talk to people. And I think when you're open-minded, you, you can always have a conversation with someone. And I think that's what we also learned from our pain horse years that you also have to appreciate everybody's yeah just success because sometimes uh, like just I will I'm always in awe when I walk somewhere with a blue ribbon and even like a someone I don't know turns on and says congratulations on your win and I feel really honored by that and I try to do the same when I just see a person walking by it. Maybe I know it, maybe I don't know the person, but I try to say congratulations because it's important. Did you empower yourself and not you look away and be like, mm -mm. so I think that's really nice for the industry just to empower us and get us up. I mean, maybe after this Corona thing, we will all be more really aware how fortunate we are to to just be in this place how fortunate we are to show our horses and get ribbons or not get ribbons yeah not get ribbons actually in my case but just kidding i actually showed at the european in 218 i don't know if you remember i did the showmanship with my good friend's horse happy leo chocolate and I was yes, so surprised did. because I went back there after four years and I still was greeted by so many people. And they were like, oh, who's that outfit from? Oh, nice outfit. And I was like, hi. And sometimes I actually like struggle to remember their names because I'm actually getting bad at that because I'm getting old. But how cool is it? You know, you just leave for a few years and you come back and people still remember you and talk to you and wish you luck and I actually agree with you because to me it's also still the biggest thing if someone comes up and says congratulations or you did a really nice pattern and actually I think that's something I experienced a little more on the AQHA circuit. One example would be Sophie Gillio who's always the nicest person in the world. She always texts Agreed. me when I do my showmanship. She's like, totally. your pattern was so nice. And I love that part. And um, I saw that part. And my suggestion would be you do it that way next time. So 
that's actually something I didn't experience that much in the APHA, but I would love to see it if people were more like that. Yeah, and maybe we were also younger and uh, and also now, now with it, like, you know, you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook, you're more visible towards everywhere. Maybe this gets more, but I agree on this point and yeah, props to Sophie. She's the best. Yes, but that that's actually an interesting point you make because I think back then when we showed on the IPHA circuit, everyone only had Facebook, right? I mean, we didn't have Instagram and I feel like we didn't post as much as we do now or as I do now, <laughs> I'm guilty. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's right. I feel like, especially during COVID, people are actually exchanging a lot more through Instagram and sharing their training and what they do with their horses. And to be honest, most of the time, I love to see that because it kind of takes away from all that COVID sadness. Yeah, I mean, I agree. No, so, I mean, how many years did we both did like we call in the night and watch the world show videos and now you just can't watch them the next day because they're recorded you can access and have a look at the videos or somebody puts it on facebook so you can see it 500 times but back then we were like on the live stream looking for the people who would cheer up and yeah, now right. it's really easier to follow people yes absolutely and it, i think it makes you feel closer to people you consider your idols or your role models because you said it back then I think I probably watched every sale horse video on YouTube there ever was because I was so obsessed <laughs> and you know just watched all the runs and there were probably like 20 videos from the world show you could just watch some trailer runs or horsemanship runs and it was kind of crazy you know to think back and today you have everything yes i mean we, we sound so old when we talk about these old days it sounds quite old but yeah i mean that's that's the, the way you started i mean to be honest i think that that's the same with the aqha girls and boys at our age it started also young they also were in this bubble of yeah aqha kids or apha kids just growing in these associations and what i what i think is that we never mixed in these ages because the shows were so separate it was never mixed you never got to meet these people you just met the people when you went to the vb shows that we attended way back a lot of years back then and then we got to meet the people at our age and started around the same time we started with the horses yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think probably of Pia Lips and Leah Henskin and all those people, they were kind of like a group, but on the totally different circuit and we didn't meet and we probably saw also like a, a different picture. level, we have to say, for sure. Yes, yes, way different level. Yes. But, um, you know, we didn't actually even see them on Facebook, like not really, yes. you know, yeah. it was definitely different. But if you could like go back and tell something to your maybe 14, 15 year old self and give some advice, what would it be? Oh, good question. Keep no advice for you. <laughs> no, keep on training, keep on, open your eyes, go to a lot of trainers, search for different things, go to the yes. Just try to show as much as you can because one day it's gonna be less and you have to earn money and work. That's what I tell myself. Um, Basically, yeah. And also to just have fun. I think a lot of 
youth years, I mean, with this saddle winning and stuff, I was so focused on the shows and I'm doing well. And I mean, I always had not so easy horses to show. So I had a lot of frustrating times with the never making it to the APHA world team, youth world team. It was such a frustrating time and there were a lot of political stuff happening. And I would just say, be happy to show and train and that's it. Yeah, I mean, that's actually... I mean, what, what would you would tell your 14-year-old self? Because I think your situation is a little bit different than mine. Oh, mine's way different. <laughs> it's hard because, you know, like, I didn't have the possibility to work more or ride more or practice more. So I think I probably would tell my teenage self to concentrate a little more on school focus on school yeah. learn faster and you know get get into a career and meaning a working career faster to be able to earn money and buy a horse and yeah I mean I think that would probably basically it I mean it's not like I didn't I didn't totally fail at school I have to <laughs> stress that but you know well, you know you what were, I mean you were really good at school so Yeah, that's true, probably. <laughs> yeah, you're really good. I mean, you have to say it to the audience, you were pretty good at school. So now I think it, it was a nice way even for you and also to paint years. I mean, showing crazy classes, doing hunter hack on horses that are not even broke. I mean, it was also nice. It was kind of rodeo. Crazy classes, crazy horses. I think that's probably something that was terrible for me at the time because The horse I had was so crazy at times, but actually it made me appreciate every other horse even more. Like if the horse would just, you know, go on through the trailer without making a big deal out of it, or, you know, would just go into the class without running off or bucking. I'm just grateful. I'm just like, if the horse behaves, that's all I need. So yeah, that's probably something that I would also tell my teenage self. Someday you'll understand Someday you'll probably appreciate those situations and experiences you had. Yes, true, 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 true. Oh, and, and I would actually work on my pole bending career because I think, yeah, I kind of neglected that. I could, I could have been a big, big pole bending winner. For sure. I mean, even Zara Furawa, there were a lot of times she won the barrel racing and there were barrel racing horses in the circuit. And she would go into the amateur, I mean, youth, youth best and pleasure or amateur, I don't know. She won the pleasure. And then two classes after she went into bell racing, won the bell racing. Then, I mean, three classes after she won the trail. I mean, you can't do this in the AKHA circuit. So it was also a fun thing to see and to just be around. Yeah. And I mean, Sarah is also one of those household names you have on the APHA circuit such as Alena you just mentioned, or Freya Olsen, or, you know, my friend Jenny. So I think it's a group of amateurs that have been there for a while and they've, they stood their ground and, you know, they came to stay. So it's kind of cool to see. And I think Sarah's horses are probably the best examples of, you know, all around us because they basically do everything. Yes. And then they started all with the uh, reigning horses and, I have to admit that that's also the, the, the pros of the, the APHA circuit, also maybe of the VB classes, that when you have a good trained horse, no matter what he was bred or how he looks or what, how he moves, when it's a nice trained horse in the 
back on the days we went, now it's also different. You had a great chance on being good in a class because it's, yeah, when you train good, when you have a nice horse in the showmanship or wherever, you would also exceed good. Yeah, that's true. I think if you worked hard on the APHA circuit, you were bound to do well. And I think one main thing that actually is kind of funny is that when I made the first steps into the AQHA industry and got in contact with AQHA people in Europe. And I told them about Trail in Hand that we actually had on the APHA circuit for like a long, long time. Those AQHA people were like, oh my God, like Trail in Hand, why are you doing this? It's kind of silly, right? And as you know, today the DQHA Trail in Hand fraternity has been one of the big classes in, yeah, I don't know, the past three or four years actually. So people started to love it and show their young horses in those classes. And there was actually big money in it. So it's kind of funny to see how things change, right? Yes. And also in Europe, the, the, the AQH, uh, like the APJ virtual long line and trail and hand classes are one of the biggest things there. So I think, and also the, the paints always had really nice hunter hack and also working, working hunter classes where the AQ circuit for sure in the U.S. has, but in Europe, we don't have that. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to get like a full hunter hack class on the big AQHA shows. You still have to like contact people and ask them, and will you do the hunter hack with me? And they're like, yeah, maybe I will. So it's it's kind of cool to see, but I have to admit that I'm actually also glad that I don't have to do a trail in hand anymore because I was always so afraid of falling over the poles or, you know, just breaking a leg. Well, I've never did it. I never showed the long line, never showed the trail in hand because because of that reason. I'm I'm happy that I'm ne- knocking on the wood and never fall in the showmanship class. Uh, yeah, that's the the thing on the ground. Showmanship is fine, but other than that, even halter is like difficult for me. So I'm out of that. Yeah, I actually I used to hate halter and I hated Tobiano color class even more. It was just walking around in a circle and then you turned around and walked the other side, but I always had to do it. So yeah, it was uh, the kind of experience you don't miss probably. (laughs) What I actually admire is that the APHA industry in Europe kind of managed to do quite a big show last year. So they had, I think they officially called it German paint, but it was like basically the European with a different name and everyone wore a mask, but we didn't have a European championship. So that was kind of sad, right? It was super sad. I mean, it feels like a lifetime I've been on a show. I think that's a great example how politics are different in the APJ and the AQJ. Uh, I've been talking with my family about this also. I mean, to be honest, in the APHA world, I was always felt like even on the Europeans, you could reach out to the president because usually the president of the APHA was always at the APHA European show and you, you could go to him and talk to him. He was a really nice guy uh, or like everybody that was there was really nice, not really not, not looking down. I think also they give a lot of freedom to the just national directors and stuff and that they were able to do this show and it was easy to show I think that's a big difference at politics the AKHA is a whole other level of politics in the APHA yeah I think it's probably like 
whole different environment. But something I actually wanted to add, which was kind of cool in 2018 when I went to the European was that they had like kind of ride the pattern things. We usually also have at the European Championship of quarter horses, but I think they didn't have that back then when we showed, right? And I actually love that because it was a little different from the ride of pattern we have at the quarter horses. It was kind of like you could do your pattern and one judge, one like someone who was a judge but didn't judge the show was judging your run. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think. Yes. So yes, yeah, yes. it was actually kind of cool because everyone was able, especially the youth kids to just perform their pattern and they got a feedback and what they could work on. And I have to say, I would have loved that when I was young. Yes. And uh, I think it was just one time at the, the AQHA Europeans that Matteo Sala was doing a wider pattern on before a trail class. So the trail was set like it was. And then he went with everyone through the obstacles, said what he would look at. And then one of his clients wrote the trail and he explained step by step how he would have judged the ride and what he liked and what he didn't like. And I think that's different. Also, I love, I mean, it's not easy to 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 scale that, but when you have this in a show arena, it's a whole different level when you do it outside, just on the stadium and just on the outside arena, because it's different space-wise, you know, how to adjust the pattern. Also nice for people that don't bring a trainer and go there by themselves to get a glimpse of what like one of the big trainers would say to their clients in this particular situation or pattern. Yes, absolutely. What I also loved about it is that you can ask questions without feeling silly you know because in the end the professional horseman or professional horsewoman is usually asking are there any questions and you can just speak up because on the other hand you wouldn't walk up to someone probably and just ask something about the pattern right as you just mentioned before and that's actually what I love about those right the pattern things because you can always get so much advice and input ask questions and for me personally, I always feel well-prepared once I've done something like that. Yes, totally agree on that. I think it's a, it's a really nice addition for everybody. And it's nice to see how things have changed and evolved because, as you know, I was on a, an American podcast a few weeks ago and I tried to explain that Europe is not as old-fashioned or lagging behind as Americans often think. And I think it's so great to see so many things evolving in our industry and, you know, just pushing boundaries and probably doing things a little bit different than they're done in the US. But it's actually great to see when looking back and once again, I sound old, but you know how <laughs> how different everything is right now. I mean, still those old times were fun and great, but actually I would have wished for more like educational offers such as write the pattern or anything like true and i mean back on the days i mean everybody can agree on that we never had times on the time schedule so now that's a really luxury thing to know this starts uh, this class starts at this point normally we just have been we always went to the stables next to the arena because then we can hear and run to our 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 class because back then it was not so well organized and now it's really nicely organized and you know it will not start before that time sometimes we were in a 
struggle with that, but where it's really more organized than it was. Yeah, I think that was one of the main things about the European was that your class would just start at some point and you knew one thing for sure, and that was that the night was going to be late. So you were going to go to bed maybe like at 1 a.m. or probably even later or earlier, whatever way you see it. But yeah, I think those were different times and I feel like I don't want to go back to that. Leonie, you have to add, we had paint horses, so you have to get at five to wash your horse because your horse is 50% white and it always lays on the white side or like the white spots are always dark. So you have to get earlier one hour to get the horse ready and washed and dry for your class. I mean, you have showmanship, you for sure have to get two hours early to just wash your horse. Yeah, it was probably like two hours for you for me it was more like three or four because my horse didn't behave so that was like kind of a big deal and I hated it and after that I actually swore that I would just quit showing pain horses and if I ever got a quarter horse I would get a sorrel or a bay and now I have a gray one yeah (laughs) so (laughs) bad choices that's kind of funny right I mean when we were young we made so many plans or we had like this ideal situation we wanted to have or horses, outfits, the kind of people we wanted to be. And now it's all different and it's still so great, right? It's still so great. Also, it's nice to dream. Uh, I love the podcast with Dazi, how she said how her biggest dream was to win a jacket. And uh, this, I can totally relate to that. And, you know, to just be in the acreage circuit or to trot down in Aachen uh, in the arena is something I was dreaming about a, a long time. And from the age of 13 on, I dreamed about that. And these things gave, give you so much joy and happiness just to, to reach these goals. And I mean, not to reach all these goals, but when you reach one goal, it's kind of like such a, such a, positive relief that you achieve one of these goals and when it's just attending one show absolutely but see there's the difference between you and me you dreamed of trotting in Aachen and I just dreamed of like being at a show I didn't even need people to talk to me or to show or to have a horse I just wanted to be there and watch people and thanks to you and your family I was able to do that because I think If your parents didn't take me to the shows, I probably would have never gotten there. And if your mom didn't feed me, I probably would have starved. (laughs) And yeah, if she hadn't taken me in when my friend forgot to let me in the apartment one time. (laughs) Thanks, Jenny. Thank you. Um, Yeah, I probably would still sit on the stairs on that apartment in Kreut. Probably that by now, but you know, but talking about dreams and that's probably the last question. Is there still something you dream of, like aside from trotting in Aachen, which you have already achieved? Um, To be honest, I think I speak on behalf of a lot of people right now. During the past year, I learned to be happy about smaller stuff. Uh, As I said, uh, I think in the future, I would just be happy to attend a show that I have enough vacation days to go to a show or to exceed my job that I can afford myself to go to the shows or to just um, buy another horse or whatever. 
I would not say doing about reading a specific class. I mean, still the Hansi degradation gives me gray hairs because I one time I want to be really good at it, maybe in 10 years. But I think I, I'm just, I'm, I'm wishing that we can go back to showing our horses and just have fun in, in the group of people I really love. Including me. Of course, <laughs> you and your horse. You know, there, I mean, our, this one time we were standing in the stands, we were both crying because my dad won the select amateur showmanship with my horse, Katie. This was one of the most fulfilling moments of my life. So it was, it, it was so happy for him because he, he worked so hard and he always supported me. And now he stepped up his game. This moment will happen to me when you just enter a class with your horse, just entering, I don't, I don't, no ribbon, whatever, just entering will give me so much joy for you. Oh, yeah, I remember that moment. It was like a great family moment, but actually to me, one of the fondest memories of horse shows is just, you know, you and me, your sister, your parents sitting outside, having dinner, having lunch and, you know, just being kind of like a little horse show family. And I hope that this will be possible in the near future because I miss all of you so much. And I hope that we see each other soon. And thank you so much for being here and talking to me about the good old times, as old people do. Yes. Oh, thank you a lot. I mean, uh, our friendship means a lot. And I think it's an example for horse show friendships that you don't talk on a daily basis. But when you talk, uh, you it's nice and you you remember and you support and it's, it's nothing that dies from maybe not talking for one or two weeks yes and that's what I love about all the horse people I met so far that they are always there and also there in distance because you're all over the world and yes I'm really grateful to be in the podcast I mean it's a lot about us and our friendship but yes really grateful to to speak here with you